I'll tell you, joy is the key to a proper attitude in life. And brethren, we're all going to face all kinds of trials and struggles. It's not all a picnic. It's not all a, it's not all a hallelujah shouting match. I know that, friend. But joy is not created by possessions. Joy is not created by positions. Joy is created by a person, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good dose of holy joy would do us all well. And I'm not talking about silly putty religion here, brother. I'm talking about something that comes from being rightly related to God and being in the presence of God. I believe of all the people alive on planet Earth today, we should not be wringing our hands and worrying about the future and worrying about the end of the world and worrying about this and worrying about that. I believe of all the people in the world, we should have the joy of God in these latter days unparalleled to the rest of our society. Okay, I got, I got a lot to cover today, and I'm so excited to, to walk through Philippians chapter 4. Again, we've been through the first three chapters of this book, and I've almost been able to cover every verse within this letter. And it is a letter. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter while he was in prison to a church that he planted about a decade or so before he wrote the letter. So the church at Philippi is about 10, 11, 12 years old. Paul, at this point of writing this letter, is now thrown into a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman guard, and he's awaiting his trial where he believes he's going to be executed. And so the church at Philippi, they send to Paul a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus brings some resources and some goods to take care of Paul while he's in prison and to also fund the missionary journey that he's on. And in exchange for these goods, Paul sends Epaphroditus back with a letter. And it's so beautiful that you and I, we get a copy of this letter. It's in your Bible, and it's called Philippians. And when you look at all four chapters, if I were to summarize them with a central theme, although there's a few different angles that you could go, the one that really just resonates in my heart is this theme. And it's the theme of the letter But more than that, it's the theme of Paul's life. And he says this, that you and I can have joy no matter what. And Paul would be a guy that would know this because he had been through every peak and valley. He had been through every high and through every low. And now he's writing one of the most positive books of the entire Bible in one of the darkest seasons of his life. And I just think what Paul is saying is this. If I can live out joy in the middle of my mess, then you and I in 2019, we can live out joy in the middle of our mess too. Come on, can somebody testify to that? So Paul says, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter the problem, no matter the pain, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the family drama, no matter the marital problem, no matter the coworker that just gets on your nerves. Come on now. No matter how bad the traffic is, we know the traffic is bad. He says, whatever, whatever the circumstance, you can choose joy. You can choose joy. And all series long, I've been trying to help you understand that joy is a choice. You get to choose joy. So all these people you run into that they look like they've been sucking on a lemon. How many of you know somebody like that? They, they chose that way. 
Because you and I, we can wake up, and I'll show you some things in chapter 4 that will help us to have joy for life. But we can wake up with a different mindset, with the mind of Christ Jesus, and we can choose joy. Now, in chapter number 4, Paul really attacks this theme of joy. Again, because this is the final chapter in his writing, and he gives us some things that I, I hope that you and I can hold on to as we journey on this faith walk as well. Let me start with verse number one, and I want to pause here for a second, and then I'll show you how Paul really jumps into this theme of joy. He says this, the first few words in his final chapter, verse number one, Philippians chapter four, if you've got your Bible, go there. If it's on your smartphone or whatnot, I want you to see this. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for. I like that. He says, you are my joy and my crown. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Now, I want to stop right here because when I was reading verse number one in preparation of today, much like in this moment, I became incredibly emotional. As a matter of fact, during worship a moment ago, I leaned over to Kimberly and I said, you and I, we don't deserve any of this. We don't don't deserve any of this. The fact that God would call us to pastor a church of people that are so beautiful, You know, the fact that God would allow us to relocate our families to Atlanta and to lead you all through really such a legacy that was established in my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And I just want to know, because I don't know if I tell you enough, that Kimberly and I, we really love you. Now, I haven't had the chance to meet all of you. I try my best to get out into the lobby to shake as many hands as I can. But you're prayed for. You're prayed for, and you're loved. And if we do anything right at this church, it'll be those two things. We will pray well, and we will love well. Come on, I mean that. As a matter of fact, it's why we exist. It's who we are. We love people to life. It's what we do. We love people to life in Jesus. And so I just want you to know that. And then, and then when you get to this part where Paul says, and I long for you, that's how we feel about Go Church. See, we planted that campus five years ago, and um, we invested blood, sweat, and tears into that location. And then just through the sovereignty of God, he relocated us back to South Metro Atlanta, and and we moved here. But God just, through his favor, let us continue to do that work. And so now I only get to speak through them via a camera. And I told Kimberly when I said on this verse a couple weeks ago, I said, man, I just, I miss those people so much. So she said, well, let's go see them. So that's what we're going to do. In a couple of weeks, I'm getting on an airplane with my whole family, my wife, my two kids, my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law, and anybody else who wants to go. Although y'all got to pay your way. I love you, but not that much. Come on. And we're going to go, church. We're going to hang out with you. I'm going to preach a message live in person. I know you think I look good on HDTV, but you better watch out. Come on now. Y'all should say amen right there, everybody in the room. It's your place. Because we long for you. We long for you. And I want you to know this, that I I consider it the highest honor to be called your pastor. You all are my joy. You are my crown. And you know what? If we pray anything for you all at both of our campuses, and one day we'll have more campuses by faith. Come on. If I pray anything, this is my prayer for all of you, that you stand firm in the Lord. 
that you stand firm in the Lord. I know that life isn't easy. I know that life is hard. I know that life is unfair. But Paul says, whatever the circumstance, you can stand firm in the Lord because he is our solid foundation. Come on, Jesus is the rock. Come on, do you believe that? So no matter what you're going through today, no matter the problem or the pain, my prayer for you, come on, as your pastor, just stand firm. Hang in there. Don't give up today because your miracle might be tomorrow. Don't you give up on God because God is not giving up on you. I wish I had somebody help me preach for a minute. Stand firm in the Lord. That's what I pray. Stand firm in the Lord. And then Paul really jumps in to this idea of joy. And this, uh, joy. And this is what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, and I'll say it again. And I, I like to think that Paul's got a little attitude. He's like, I'll say it again. He says, I will say it again. Rejoice. On the count of three, both campuses, let's say this whole phrase, this whole scripture reference aloud. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now say it like you got some joy. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, there is, this is just me, and if you think that my theology is off, you can send us an email. Pick whatever email address you want and send it there. It's just my thought. I don't think that Paul just wrote these words. I don't think that Paul just thought these words. I don't even think that Paul just said these words. There's something inside of me that thinks that Paul sang these words. How many of you know somebody that can sing? Now, how many know somebody that can sing? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me let all of the white people in on the secret. There is a difference between singing and singing. Come on now. And I think that I might be accurate because if you remember, it was in Acts chapter 16, verse 27, when Paul and Silas, they were locked up in prison. And it said that about midnight, they began to sing. Let me tell you. Earthquakes don't come up if you sing. Earthquakes show up when you sing. When in your inner belly, like deep down on the inside of you, in the middle of the junk that you walk through, you just open up your mouth and you just sing a song. You sing a song. See, the thing that ticks off the enemy more than anything is when he throws hell at you and you still lift your voice, you still lift your hands, and you say, hallelujah, whatever it is, I will rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. So, so, sorry, we ain't too dignified around these parts. Let me get a little help. Micah, where are you at? Come on out here, Micah. Now, Micah is one of our associate pastors here at our South, Met South Metro campus, but he's also the one that leads worship here. And the thing about Micah is, is that Micah can sing. On the outside, he looks a little Caucasian, but on the inside, mm. My, Micah, this verse says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, when I say it, you feel something, but when we sang it, you feel something different. 
How would this verse sound if we sang it, Micah? Come on, what's it sound like? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, again I say, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, again I say, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, again I say, rejoice in the Lord. Somebody lift up the name of Jesus.
not three people. Tell them, say, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah. My God. Mm. God. Well, if you didn't know, you know now we ain't Baptist. I'm telling you, I think he sang it. Because I think that Paul knew that in the middle of your mess, you can lift up your hands, you can lift up your voice, and you can rejoice in the Lord always. Come on, one more time, give Jesus praise. Come on. Well, I'm going to be over on my preaching time, but that's y'all's fault, not mine. Let me do this real quick. I want you to see this, that in, in Philippians chapter 4, I'm just going to show this to you. We see Paul do three things for us. He shows us a prayer that we need to pray. He gives us a principle that we need to learn. And then he shares a promise that we need to claim. A prayer that we should pray. A principle that we can learn. And then a promise that we need to claim. And, and I want to try to break all of these down in Philippians chapter 4. And the first one is a prayer that we need to pray. Now in verses six and seven, Paul tells us why we should pray. He tells us how we should pray. And then he gives us the result of that prayer. Here's what he says, verse six. He says, do not be what? He says, don't be anxious about anything. And I think that Paul knows and he knew that worry and anxiety are the quickest things that can steal our joy. He says, if you allow worry to come in, if you allow anxiety to creep in, anxiety to creep in, then all of a sudden you replace joy with those fears. As a matter of fact, I think there are three major joy killers. And if, if you'll allow me, I'll add a fourth one here. I think it's our worry. I think it's our why. I think it's our who. And then if I were to add one more, I think it's our what. Now, let me walk through these. We get the word, English word worry from the German word vergen, which means to choke or to strangle. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to choke the joy out of your life. He wants to strangle hope out of your life. And so that's why he throws all of these, these things to worry about and all of these anxieties at you. As a matter of fact, 40% of the population in the U.S. takes some form of medication for anxiety. Because the enemy knows that when you get anxious, it's hard for you to rejoice. Do you see that? As a matter of fact, statistics say that women are 60% more likely than men to have anxiety issues. And I know why. Because, ladies, most of your anxiety is because of a man. <laughs> Come on, ladies.
a lot of doctors feel that, <laughs> that was funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. A lot of doctors feel that men may be close to that percentage, but they self-medicate with alcohol and drugs. And then, and then nearly one in three adolescents, almost 32% of teenagers will meet the criteria for anxiety disorder by the age of 18. And then, you, and then you've got the why. And we talked a lot about that in week number one of this series. So why God? Why me? Why now? Okay, and so the worry of unanswered questions creeps in. And I told you this, but most people can never overcome the bad things that have happened to them because they're stuck in their why. And let me just be a little repetitive here. Don't die in your why. Don't die in the why. Listen to me. There are some things that happen in this life that you won't know the answers to. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. And then we get to the who, our who. Like, what is their name? Who is it? Who's the person that every time you get around them, man, your anxiety level just, your blood pressure's through the roof, your stress level, right? All of a sudden, can I just tell you, I ain't got time for anybody like that. Ain't no time to hang out with Debbie Downers that are always like, well, you know. Well, you know what I do know? I know that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And if you want to be critical and negative, go hang out with all them. You know, you know who else could be your who? Fox News, CNN News, MSNBC News. Come on. All of this stuff that tries to put fear in our heart. And I've told you this before. This isn't a new sermon. But, but my who is in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the king of all kings. Come on now. So I'm not worried about what the news says about the world that we live in. The Bible says you and I were going to have trouble, but we can take heart because he has overcome the world. And then if you add one more, and it's not on the screen, but you could add our what. And that's, that's our need for more stuff. And I'm, I'm going to unpack that in just a minute. But a lot of times our joy can be taken because we're so focused on what we don't have instead of thanking God for what we do have. Come on, you, you guys with me? So Paul doesn't just say, hey, this is how you pray. Don't be anxious about anything. But then he gives us three pointers, and this is what he says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation... Now, here, here's what Pastor JC does. I'm really good at praying about the big stuff. And then I try to handle the small stuff on my own. God is inviting you to bring your prayer requests to him regardless of their size. The same God that answers big prayers is the same God that can answer your small prayers. Come on, I'm preaching now. Now, you won't see this kind of book being a bestseller on a newsstand or a bookshelf because the only books we see are how to pray big, bold prayers. But I'm telling you that, yeah, pray the big, bold prayers, but also pray about everything, even the smallest of things. Like, take that to the Lord. The second thing he says is this. Don't be anxious about anything but in every situation. And then he says, by prayer and petition. So in this first part of Philippians 4, he's just saying, hey, here's a prayer. This is, this is the prayer you have to pray. And he says, bring your petition. These, these are requests, a specific request for God's help. That, that's a petition. A specific request for God's help or a specific request for something that you're asking God to do. Again, God is inviting us to come to him and to request his help. To say, God, in the small stuff, I need you. In the big stuff, I need you. And then he says this, and don't miss this word. He says, and do it all with thanksgiving. 
Now, I'm guilty here because a lot of the prayers that I've prayed have not been laced with a thankful heart. I've had some frustrated prayers prayed out of these lips before. Anybody with me? But Paul is reminding us that no matter what it is you're walking through, that every time you pray, you pray with a spirit of thanksgiving. You're thanking God for what he has done, but also thanking God for what he's about to do. Come on now. You're thanking God for how he worked in the past, and you're standing on the promise that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that that right? And watch this. We give God thanks regardless of what we're faced against, and we also give him thanks regardless of what his answer is. Because some of the best prayers that I've ever prayed have been a response where God said no. And do you know that God will answer every prayer that you ever pray? All of them. And he always gives you three answers. Yes, no, or wait. I like the yes and no. Let's just cut to it. Tell me yes, tell me no, but don't make me wait. Anybody with me? Now, here's what I really appreciate about the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to move through this quickly, but I want you to see this. Paul doesn't just tell us why we should pray, and he doesn't just give us pointers on how to pray, but he goes on to tell us the result of those who are faithful in prayer. And in the very next verse, verse number 7, Paul says that God is going to make you a deal that's going to be really hard for you to refuse. He says, if you don't worry, if you're not anxious, but in everything you pray, you bring your petition, you bring your request with thanksgiving, this is the result of that. Watch, verse 7, the next verse. He says, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to summarize what I believe the Apostle Paul is teaching to the church at Philippi and how it's so appropriate for us here today. He says this. He says, you bring your problems to God, and God will bring his peace to you. Come on, that's an offer you can't refuse. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, you cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So every problem, whether they're small problems or big problems, you bring those problems to God, and God will exchange that for peace. Somebody say peace. peace. Say it again. Peace. peace. Don't get tired on me. Hang in there. I'll, I'll move quick. Watch this. I want you to see it again. And the peace of God. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment because there's a couple of things that I want you to take note on about the peace. First of all, it's called the peace of God. It's like a revelation, isn't it? It's called the peace of God. And the reason that it's called the peace of God, because Paul is letting us know that this type of peace can only come from God. That you can't find this kind of peace in what the world offers. See, the world will always offer a substitute peace. And Paul says, don't get it twisted. Don't buy into the lies of the enemy and hold on to the peace of this world because it is unfaithful and it is untrue and it will lead you down a road that you don't want to travel on. He says, what you need is the true, genuine peace of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus Jesus said it like this in John 14, verse number 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the what? 
Because the world provides a substitute peace. Let me tell you, the world says that there's peace at the bottom of that bottle. The world says that there's peace on the other side of that needle. The world says that there's joy and happiness on the other side of that website you shouldn't be clicking on. The, the world says that, that there's peace in another woman or in another man. Do you see? And, and Jesus says, look, the peace that I give you is not, is not like what the world gives. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's go back to the verse again. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That's the second part that you have to know about this verse. Not only is that the peace of God comes from God, but that this peace will surpass our human understanding. Now, all of you are much smarter than I am, but we have one thing in common. Regardless of our intellect, our human brains are still very, very limited. As a matter of fact, let me prove it to you. Have you ever gone through something that you did not understand why you were walking through it? I mean, if you ain't raising your hand, you're lying. Let's be honest. Anybody walking through that right now? Like, God, I'm walking through something, and I, I just don't understand it. So Paul says that when you get the peace of God, you also get the ability to walk through things that you do not understand. He says, so whenever you go through the trials, whenever you go through the tests, whenever you go through the difficulties, when everyone else around us is acting like a fool and they're losing their mind, God can give us a peace that surpasses our very limited understanding. Standing. And this peace will give us the power to endure the most difficult of circumstances. You, you learned this early on in your walk with Christ. It's Proverbs chapter 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not. Because if you try to lean on what you understand, you will fall short every time. And here's why. Because when you lean on what you understand, you miss the mark. But when you get the peace of God, which transcends what our brains can't comprehend, then we're promised this protection. And the protection is, is that our hearts will be guarded and our minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. So here's what it means, and then I'll move on. His peace will guard our hearts from wrong feelings and our minds from wrong thinking. Because most of the time when I walk through something I can't comprehend and I lean on JC's understanding, my heart and my head, they do some crazy things. But when I lean on the peace of God, the peace that comes from God, then my hearts are protected from wrong feelings and my mind is protected from wrong thinking. So that, that's the first one. The first one was a prayer that we need to pray. Then Paul says in the middle of this chapter, chapter number four, he says, now there is a principle that you need to learn. And if you'll give me the time to walk through all, all three of these, I'll summarize them to show you how you and I can have joy for life. So here's the principle that you and I have to learn. It's about five verses in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse eight. And this is what he writes. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. He says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The reason that you and I don't get to experience this joy so often is because we think about everything but these things. 
And Paul says, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, then think about such things. And then he says this, he talks about himself and he says, and whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And then he says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. And he says, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm going to show you how they proved their concern for Paul in verse number 15. And then he says this in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying any of this because I'm in need. Are you ready for the principle that you and I have to learn? He says it. He says, for I have learned. To be content, whatever the circumstance. And you might remember in week number one, I kind of said that Paul got a little attitude. He's like, whatever the circumstance. He says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. And then he says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. Anybody ever been there? And then he says, I know what it is to have plenty. Anybody ever been there? That's all of us living paycheck to paycheck, isn't it? I've got a lot, and now i got nothing. And then he says it again. Verse 12, he says, But I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in poverty or in plenty or in want. Are you ready? Here's what he says, and this is the principle. He says, I have learned to be content. I have learned... To be content. And I told you this a few weeks ago, but the, the best way to learn something is to go to school, to take some tests. And Paul had been through his fair share of testings. And, and if I gave you time to get this microphone and share your testimony, we'd learn that you've been through your fair share of testings as well. And Paul says, through every, through every high, through every low, through every imprisonment, through every challenge, through through every trial, through every difficulty that I've faced, he says, I've just learned to be content. Now, here's what I want you to know. You need to know this and hang in there for a few more minutes, but contentment is not the same as settling. Okay, Contentment is recognizing that no matter what happens, we can rest on Jesus instead of resting on us. Do you see that? And I think that Paul's contentment came from two specific areas. The first area that Paul's contentment, because he says, I've learned to be content, it comes from the fact that Paul knew that God was filling him with, with power. He reveals that in the very next verse. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who fills me with power. Like, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, can I talk about this verse for a second? And whether you say yes or not, I was going to do it. I think that this verse, Philippians 4.13, might be one of the m most misquoted, out-of-context verses in all of the Bible. And here's why. Because some people read this and they think, okay, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So as long as I have Jesus in my life, I can do anything. Okay, and that's not what it means, and I'm going to prove it to you. Because if you're in college and you have a final exam and you love Jesus, but you didn't study, you gonna fail. Come on, how many of you know that's true? I remember in college, I would take my textbook and put it under my pillow and pray for the spirit of osmosis to come through. And every test I didn't prepare for, guess what happened? 
I failed. You don't believe me? Try this afternoon. Go to your swimming pool. Go to the nearest lake. Go to a community center where there's water and say, I love Jesus, and try to walk on top of that water. In about two seconds, you're going to be at the bottom of the pool or the bottom of the lake. I told you last week, I love golf, but every time I swing that club, I remind the Lord, I love you, and you love me. This ball should go straight, and it never does. So I, I can quote this all I want, but it doesn't mean that just because I have Jesus, I can do anything. Don't take it out of context. What Paul was saying in the previous verses leading up to verse number 13 is that God will give me the strength to be content whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. That when things are good, God gives me strength to endure the good days. But when things are bad, God gives me the power to endure the bad things. He says, no matter, let me preach for a second. He says, no matter what happens to me, I've learned to be content because I've got the peace of God and I've got the power of God and my joy is not based on what I can see, it's based on what I can't see. And I know that God is doing something for me because all things work together for good. Come on, that's a great place to shout amen right there. second way I know that Paul learned contentment was from his perspective. So the first way God gave him power. The second way was his perspective. And I want you to see his perspective. So he's writing his friend Timothy, and here's what he says, 1 Timothy 6. After all, he says, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. And here's, here's what he says. He says, so if we have enough food and if we have enough clothing, let us be content. Can I tell you that we all got enough food? And Kimberly, you got enough clothes. <laughs> Come on, fellas, where are you at? I threw some shade earlier, but come on, boys. How many of you know your lady don't need no more clothes? She's got enough clothes. She's got enough shoes. Come on, fellas. Preach back at me. Help me out. Look at you. Some, that's the most Holy Ghost some of you men ever felt. Hey! Now he's preaching. Paul says, whether you got food, if you got enough food, you got enough clothes, let us be content. And I think what happens to so many of us is we let our what we try so hard to keep up with the Joneses and to present this status as if we are better off than what we really are. You see people, you know, in different circles, you think, man, they, they've got so much money. Maybe, or maybe they just got a lot of debt. But I will tell you this. When I read verses like these, it reveals something about me. And how far I have to go to arrive to the place of contentment. I don't have time to give you the full story, but when I was younger, we didn't grow up with much. And I don't say that as negative criticism towards my, my mom. She was a single mom. My father passed away when I was 13. And my mom, she went to work multiple jobs. Now, my mom never made it seem like we didn't have much because that's what great moms do. And so I, I, I can't even remember a time where, you know, I thought, man, we're really, really struggling here. 
But I do remember my mom waiting patiently at the mailbox, waiting for those Social Security checks to come in. And some of you can testify to this. You ain't never had a grilled cheese until you had a government grilled cheese. Ain't come from much. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be rich. You know, I told, I remember as a kid thing, when I'm rich, I'll take care of my mom, take care of my family. So I became very selfish and I wanted to be rich. And, and then I learned this, that being poor can be dangerous, but being rich can be dangerous too. Because whenever you become rich, there's a different type of temptation. There is. And it's the temptation uh, to become self-sufficient. It's the temptation to become self-reliant on your possessions and your wealth. It's also a temptation to become very greedy. And I know what some of you are thinking that you're not rich. You're thinking, well, if I was rich, I'd never be greedy. Well, are you greedy when you're poor? Because Luke 16 says that you'll never be trusted with much until you be, can be trusted with little. So maybe you don't have a lot because you're not stewarding what you got well. I, did you hear what I said? I'm not being mean. But you can't wait for the one day if God says, what are you doing with what you've got right now? And here's what we do. We, we don't live in contentment. We look at what everybody else has and think, well, they got it made. They, they, they've got it all together. And I'm telling you that those with money, they wrestle a different type of temptation. But being poor can be dangerous too. Because then you're tempted to steal or do things that are unethical just to make ends meet. So the proverb says it like this. Proverbs 38 beginning in verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. He says, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and insult God's holy name. Do, do, you, do you see this? Paul says, hey, it's not about what you got in your hand. It's about who you got in your heart. Oh, come on. It's not about what you got in your hand. You may not have the job that you love and the car that you desperately want and the house, the dream house. But is he taking care of your needs? If you got enough food and you got enough clothes, you're doing all right. And you may not be rich in consideration of the circle of people you want to hang out with. But when you look around the world as Americans, we are blessed and we are favored by God. Come on, I got to move. I'm done. All right, a prayer we need to pray, a principle we need to learn. So, so Paul says, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. A principle that we need to learn. He says, I want you to learn just to be content. It's not about what you see. It's about what you can't see, what God is doing. It's not about what's in your hand. It's about who's in your heart. And then he says, and now there's a promise that you can claim. And in the next few verses, Paul talks about other churches that didn't support him on his missionary journey. And he says, but thankfully the church at Philippi did. And this is what he says in verse 15. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. That, that's this, the good news. And then traveled on from Macedonia. And I highlighted these words on purpose. He says, no other church did this. If you want to know 
what kind of church I want us to be known for, it's this, that we're doing what no other churches are doing, that we're ministering to people that no other churches are willing to minister to. Come on now, that, that we see a need and we fill a need. Do you see that? That we find a need and we fix a need. That we're not just trying to be another church on the street. We got enough churches on the street. We need a movement of the Holy Spirit. And God said, look, he's calling us to do what no other churches are doing. Whenever they write about us, let them say, you all did what no other church would do. You loved people that no other church would love. Come on, isn't that good? And he says this, and then he keeps talking about them. And then in verse number 19, he says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And here's what happens. When we get to this verse, this is what we do. We confuse our need with our greed. We confuse our need with our greed. I'm just going to say this and then we'll be done. <laughs> Maybe God hasn't answered that prayer that you've been praying because it's a greed-filled prayer rather than a need-filled prayer. There's some things that I've been praying for, and man, when I started diving into this chapter, I felt so much conviction, and I don't like that. Maybe you do, but I don't. And God says, I will supply all of your needs, not all of your greeds. And I think what you and I need to do, we need to go home. This is your homework assignment. And really focus in on what, what are the needs? Because God will provide your needs. He's not a God that provides your greed. All right, let me show you. I'm going to summarize all of those things, that prayer, that principle, and that promise. And Paul says, so... And this summarizes the whole, the, whole, the whole letter. He says, you want joy for life? This is what you do. You pray about everything. He says, you pray about everything. He says, you want joy for life? Then realize that perspective is everything. And then he says, you want joy for life? Then you've got to put your trust in God for everything. And that's how you get joy for life. Every Sunday we close with a question, and it's only appropriate to close with a question related to the theme. And this is for you. So at both campuses, our campus pastors are coming, our musicians are coming, and I'm walking off the stage, and you're going to ask yourself this question, do I have joy no matter what? Do I have joy no matter what? And if you don't, your campus pastor is going to show you how you, can, how you can claim it. And if you do then don't hide it. Live it out. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Every head bowed, every eye closed as you consider this question. Come on.